0: My son, Landon, is four years old, and he has done this thing over the last year that's growing into something quite interesting. He's developed this habit. Uh, basically, he blames it on being itchy, but what he does is he started out with just like, kind of like this habit of like a little nose swipe like that. Like he'll be playing Wii or something like that, and he just starts going like this. And then he added like, like kind of like a reverse nose swipe, and then he added an ear, so he kind of goes like this. And now he's actually gotten his knees into it, and so he does this. You know, he kind of starts hitting his knees. And, and, and before you know it, he's just, I mean, you're just watching the kid, and he's just hitting random parts of his bodies, And he looks like a third base coach, you know, like he's giving signs, you know. And I, I, I believe he's a master strategist for offense. And, and someday it'll all come out. He'll be a third base coach in the major leagues, you know. And I can only imagine that he'll get itchy and go like this and someone will steal third and get tagged out and he'll get fired and that'll be terrible. But, but he's this offensive strategist, right? Um, at least that's how I like to look at it right now. Um, but what we get to talk about tonight is offensive strategy. We've been talking about defense for a long time now. We've been talking about the fact that we are in this battle and basically we need defense. We need in this battle the ability to defend ourselves so that we don't keep getting beat up. Now who's this battle with? Uh, Scripture tells us that this battle is with Satan. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, instantly you're like, oh gosh, I can't believe we're going here tonight. I'll tell you this right now. Hang with us. Just spend this time with us. Just hear me out. Hear what we have to talk about. I get the skepticism. I get the rolling the eyes. I get the doubt. I get this is why I don't go to church. But just spend some time with us tonight. Uh, See if we're not completely insane and just hang out with us. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe what the Bible has to say, then you see in here very clearly that we're in this battle. Paul tells us, like we talked about several weeks ago in week one, that we're not in just kind of like this normal battle of life, you know, just against flesh and blood, but that it's really with what's behind that, that there's spiritual forces at work. And so he tells us this not to scare us, but to tell us, okay, you guys need some defense. You guys need some defense when it comes to these different kinds of of battles and these struggles because so often what Satan's trying to do is rob our relationship with God, destroy our marriage, destroy our relationship with our parents, destroy our purity, steal uh, the truth from us, and all these different kinds of things. And we often get our butts kicked, man. We just, we, we keep struggling. We keep falling. So we've talked about all kinds of things we can do by God's grace to use what, what scripture calls the armor of God. And that's why I got this guy up on stage, kind of a picture of of what Paul was looking at. Now, now this is not quite what Paul was looking at. This is a little bit more advanced than what Paul was looking at, but basically he's in this prison cell and he's tied to this guy who's got all this armor on. And he's looking at this guy and he's saying, just like he's prepared for battle, we need to be prepared for battle. I mean, this guy's ready to go. He's ready to go out there and fight. And he's got what he needs to protect himself. And as Christians, we need to have what we need to protect ourselves. And so that's what we've been talking about for several weeks now. And tonight we're gonna end up with the the last piece of armor here, and it's offensive armor, which is cool. So let's read through where we've been and where we're going tonight. Ephesians 6, verse 14 says this, stand firm then, and he says before that, remember what's before that, we're in this battle with the enemy, he's trying to destroy us, so stand firm then, with the belt of truth around your waist, with (laughs) Um, (laughs) with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. So that's where we've been. We've been at all that. We talked about all that. If you're wondering what it means, how you use it, listen to the podcast. Lastly, end the sword of the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So he gives us all those defensive weapons. He says, wear them. Use them, because they're going to make a difference. When Satan comes to attack the truth, you got to belt the truth. When he comes to tell you you're not right with God, you got the breastplate of righteousness. And he goes on and on and on, right? And now he says, okay, those are all defensive weapons, but let's talk offense now. I'm really thankful that we talk about offense. Because if all we had was defensive wear, it'd be a little bit depressing. Like, just imagine being a soldier out there, and all you have is defensive weaponry. You're pretty much a target, right? Like, what are you going to do with just your defensive weapons, right? Like, I always felt bad for the guys who didn't get the sword. You know, like, you ever watch any of those old school movies, and there's like the guy with the trumpet? Like, cool, man. You know, like, ooh, scary, you know? And he's out there leading the charge, right? And then you got flag guy. Poor flag guy's out there, right? And he's out there waving the flag, you know? And I think it's so funny because the guys who are most loud and most visible get no weapons. You know, so everyone around them is like, kill that guy with the trumpet and the flag, you know? And <laughs> You know, he just, what, what am I going to do, you know? And I, I was thinking about this. I am guaranteeing you that flag guy and trumpet guy were like the two troublemakers in the camp, you know? And so the general was giving out assignments. And he says, okay, give Corporal Smith and Corporal Williams the trumpet and the flag. That's the last time they surround my toilet. You know, like, <laughs> just let's get these guys back, okay? And the problem is they got no offensive weapon. They were ready for defense, but they got no offensive weapon. And so tonight we get to talk offense. We get to talk about pushing forward and moving forward. And here's why that's so important. Because so often, as a Christian, our lives feel like we're just playing defense. Like, oh man, like Satan's coming again. Like he's whispering again. He's, he's tempting again. He's trying to steal from me again. Again. And it feels like defense. I don't know if you guys like football, but if you watch football, I'm always amazed at the 350-pound linebackers, and they're they're just fighting it out at that line for three hours. They're pushing, they're shoving, they're tackling, trying to sack. I mean, all these different things. And I can only imagine that the guys who are trying to defend the quarterback are getting exhausted. You know, you got Clay Matthews, like, fighting his way through, trying to tackle your quarterback. And here's the the lineman trying to push him back and push him back and protect their guy. That gets exhausting. Playing defense is exhausting. And sometimes that feels like the Christian life. It feels like all I'm trying to do is just stay alive. All I'm trying to do is not get killed. I feel like the enemy is constantly rushing me. And I'm just trying to stand up. And so Paul here is he's, he's helping us understand, okay, it's not just about defense. You can go forward. You can move forward. You don't have to stay stuck where you are. You don't have to stay in defense mode. You can actually take steps further. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me in my relationship with God, to be able to take steps forward, to continue to grow in him and to what God has for me. So tonight, we're gonna talk about what the sword of the spirit is. See, Paul defines it for us in that verse, right? It says, the sword of the spirit, which is what? Which is the word of God, okay? So then we gotta define what that is. What is the word of God? What's Paul talking about here? What's he trying to tell us? Because this is important information. If I can take a sword, and move forward. And when the enemy comes at me, fight and move forward and get past where I am now. I want to know what that is. Now, it's a little confusing because the word word is used a couple different ways in the Bible. Sometimes the word word is talking about Jesus. Other times, it's talking about the word of God like the Bible, you know? It's like some of us are imagining kind of, okay, like reading the Bible is how I kind of fight back against the enemy or, or knowing the Bible is how I fight against the enemy? Well, kind of. That's kind of the answer. It's sort of the answer, but it's not the full answer. You see, we have to look at this Greek word, and I'll just bring up Greek words so that you guys like me or not like me or think I'm smart or whatever. This really helps, okay? What is Paul saying here? He uses this word. It's called rhema. He calls it the rhema of God, the word of God, the rhema of God. What does rhema mean? It's that which is said. It's a word, a saying or an expression. So here's what Paul's trying to say, and you guys, if, you, if you, you don't like what I'm talking about tonight, you can be done with me after this, because I just want you to get this much, and then you can fall asleep if you want, okay? I'll throw stuff, but you can sleep through it if you want, okay? This is what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, the way you push back Satan in your life, the way you fight back, is not just by reading God's word, it's not just by knowing God's word, it's not memorizing God's word, but it's speaking God's word. That is what the sword is. That is what will send Satan running. That is what will be your offensive weapon. Don't just read it. Reading it's great. Don't just know it. Knowing it's great. Don't just you know, memorize it. That's good too. But you gotta get to speaking the word of God. That's what Paul says is this great weapon. Now, how do we use it? Well, we gotta know how these guys back in the day used it. See this knight here that I have? His sword is really long. And honestly, that's a bad picture for you. Because these Roman soldiers, the one that Paul was sitting looking at while he's writing this, the sword was really short and it was double-edged double and it was used for hand-to-hand combat. It's like right there in the heat of the battle. And I think, guys, that's no mistake because in our battle, it's kind of like with Satan, we're at hand-to-hand combat, isn't it? It's kind of like we're in this battle and, you know, Sometimes you see the movies and they got like that battleship in the middle of the waters and it shoots this missile like thousands of miles and it hits the target, you know. Satan usually doesn't work like that. He's usually right in our face. And he's he's whispering and he's and he's up close and he's he's tempting and he's luring and he's accusing and he's trying to get us to believe God doesn't exist or doesn't love us or or that we can't trust God or that this temptation, this this lust, or this anger, or this jealousy, or this you know, material thing is gonna ultimately satisfy us. And he's just he's whispering us, whispering to us, and he's right there in our face. It's hand-to-hand combat. And what Paul is saying is you need a little sword. A little sword that's gonna be this weapon that's gonna drive Satan back. And he says, it's the word of God, but not just knowing it or, or liking it or loving it, or it's speaking the word of God. Now, the best example that we have of this is Jesus. Now, if you know where I'm going right now, that's great. If you're like, oh, I know what story he's gonna use. He's gonna tell this story about Jesus and how he used God's word. Listen to me. I really don't care if you know it. I really don't. What I care is that you live it. Because my guess is, if I were to say, okay, raise your hands if on a daily basis you speak God's word and use it like a weapon to drive the enemy back when he tempts you or when he accuses you, when he tries to make you feel guilty, when he tries to make you feel unloved, if I were to say, okay, raise your hand if daily you speak out God's word and use it as a weapon, I would guess two or three of us in the room would say, that's a daily thing I do. That's something that I need to get better at. I'm not trying to come down on you. This is something I think everyone in the room needs to begin to live out. And some of you know the story where I'm going, but we don't live it, so who cares if we know it? So tonight, I want to challenge you to listen, but I want to challenge you much more than that to live what we see Jesus do here. And I think you're going to see some things in this you've never seen before as we walk through this, because I know I did. So Matthew 4, Jesus and Satan, hand-to-hand combat. I said in the six o'clock service that I think when we get to heaven, this is going to be playing on screens every once in a while. I don't have support for that. You know, don't fire me as your pastor if I'm off on that. But you know, you can see me in heaven. Liar! You know, (laughs) all right? Like, okay, I think you're in the wrong spot. Anyway, um, all right, Matthew 4, verse 1. Says this, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Thanks for that little tidbit of information. That's I didn't couldn't have figured that one out. Uh, <laughs> the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now so Satan comes to Jesus, and it's very, very safe. Doesn't it feel like a safe temptation? I mean, Jesus is hungry, and Satan's just telling him, You're hungry, you eat. You know, like turn them. Turn them into bread. What's the big deal? And sometimes that's how he comes to us. It's very overt, it's, or not overt. It's very, it's hidden. It's, it's, it's just this little thing that looks real innocent. But you know what? If Jesus had gone for this, he would have stopped trusting his father. He would have stopped obeying his father. And he would have begun to rely on himself. And he ultimately would have disqualified himself from being able to save you and I. Because he would have done what the enemy wanted him to do. And so this is a huge, huge, huge deal. And I just want you to see how Jesus comes back at him. It says in verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus quotes scripture. This is Deuteronomy six. He speaks the word of God. Now I want you to think about something for a second. Who's speaking the word of God right now? God. Jesus is fully man, but he's fully God. Now, okay, so Jesus, who's fully God, is tempted, and to get through that temptation and to walk forward, he's using the word of God as his choice to get through that. And then here's you and I, fully man and fully man, who hardly ever uses that approach. Wait, wait, so Jesus knew that's how you do it. But you and I know we got enough faith to get through it on our own, right? we got enough strength to get through it on our own. We're tough enough. The Son of God says, this is how you walk forward. This is how, when Satan comes and tempts, you get through it. You speak the word of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written... He'll command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So Satan's getting smart. He's going, oh, okay, Jesus responds to me in Scripture. I'll quote him some Scripture. And he quotes one of the Psalms. And so he brings this new temptation. And, and remember, Jesus is fully God. So, like, maybe to you and I, that doesn't sound very tempting, you know. Like, but basically what Satan is saying is just kind of prove you're God. Like, go ahead, just jump, and, and we'll see. We'll all see that, that you're actually God, because the angels will come carry you and catch you, and no big deal. And to Jesus, to, I mean, Jesus must just, there must be such temptation in him to prove and just shut the mouth of Satan. I mean, so easily he could do it. But what does he do instead? In verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus comes back and he says again, I'm gonna, he quotes Deuteronomy 8 this time and he, and he comes back with the spoken word of God. In verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus again, he comes back, this is Deuteronomy 6 again, he comes back and he quotes the word of God. He speaks out the word of God. He didn't go, Satan, hang on a minute. I'm just going to go and spend some time reading the word of God. He didn't go, uh, you know what? I have this verse memorized. I'm just going to think about this for a minute. No, he spoke the word of God. And look at verse 11. I love this. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. So Satan eventually realizes something. You know what he realizes? He's getting nowhere. You know what stands out to me most about this whole story? Is that when Jesus speaks God's word, the devil realizes he's getting nowhere. When Jesus speaks God's word, did you ever notice in this, Satan never continues to argue with him. You know, it's not like Satan, Jesus goes, "Uh, man does not live by bread alone. And then Satan goes, yes, but did you think of this angle? And did you think about it this way? No, as soon as as Jesus speaks the truth, The truth shuts Satan down. Satan's got to bow to the truth. Now, okay, he he does then go and tempt him in a different way, but Jesus is right there with a new response from the truth, from the word of God. And so, again, the truth shuts Satan down. He gives him no wiggle room. He gives him nowhere to go. It's almost like when Jesus brings up the truth, Satan goes, oh, great, he's using the truth on me. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say here. Let me give you a little example from real life of how the truth will just shut things down. That's just, it's true of all things, not just in scripture. The truth will shut something up real quick. This morning, we're here getting ready for our 11 a.m. service and we're having this horrible buzzing coming through the speakers. We, we figure out that it goes back to the keyboard and the monitors over here. And so we're, me and Andrew and Mark and Brendan, we're trying to figure it out and we're, I mean, we're getting close to the 11 o'clock service time and we got to get this figured out. So I started talking with the guys. Okay, this and that. And we're going through everything. And Andrew goes, and you know what? Somebody unplugged a wire in the back. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this. Who would, who would unplug a wire in the back? I can't believe this. This is why we can't have people on stage. And, and me and Andrew start going on this rant. And we're blaming this team and that poor kid from the green room and this and that and never again. And this is ridiculous and I can't believe this. And, and, and eventually I said to Andrew, I was like, yo, man, which, which wire was it? And we go back there and he shows me. And I said, um, I unplugged that wire. <laughs> and I turned out the corner. I looked at brother and I went, I unplugged the wire. Like, you know? Now, what didn't happen then is we, me and Andrew look at each other and go, yeah, that's right, those green room kids and the collision and this and that and this guy who plays the drums and I don't, No, because the truth ended it. As soon as we knew what happened, it was like, there's nowhere to go in this argument. Anymore. I, I'm certainly not going to bring it up anyway. You know what I mean, like, this, this, this just is silence now, and you'll never speak of it again. You know, I mean, it, the truth just shut it down. There's no way to run. We couldn't keep running our mouths. We couldn't keep accusing. We couldn't keep trying to figure out. It just, oh. And that's exactly what happens in, in our relationship with God and this battle with the enemy when we say, okay, Satan, you're, you're tempting me with this. Well, I'm going to bring the truth back. And he goes, oh, oh well, I. They really don't have anything to say to that. I can't keep going down that road because you leave me no wiggle room. There, there's nothing to do. I mean, if you had responded in your own strength, I could have kept coming. I could have kept trying to deceive. I, but you just, you just showed me exactly what I know I have to submit to. You're, you're trusting in something that I can't beat. I mean, this is, this is Satan's perspective now. How can, I, how can I keep going down this road if, if you know that's true of you? If you know God's done that for you? then I can't, I can't get you that way. And maybe he'll try a new avenue. Okay, cool. So now I bring up a new truth. I, I speak a new word of God and I see it act like a sword and I move forward by God's grace. So what's up with Deuteronomy 6 and 8? why did Jesus quote Deuteronomy 6 and 8? I, I was asking myself this as I'm studying this. I'm like, okay, so Deuteronomy 6 and 8, those are the three responses he gives all out of these, these two chapters real close nearby in this one book. Is that it could have been coincidence, but is there something deeper here? And as I looked, I found a couple different theories and stuff, and Pastor actually talked about a few of those in a message he did a little while ago. But you know what I found that really intrigued me? I found that Deuteronomy 6 and 8 were part of the scripture that was taught over and over and over again to little Jewish boys. Jesus was once a little Jewish boy. And he was once sitting in you know elementary school and they were teaching him the Torah and, and, and this specific part of Deuteronomy was over and over and over and over again worked into who they were. And so could it be that as soon as Satan brings up these different temptations, Jesus responds with what is incredibly familiar to him. He responds with what is in him. Now, again, Jesus inspired all of the writing of all the words. I think he's a little familiar with all of scripture. But let's just talk the fully man side of him. This is what he had drilled into him since he was a kid. And so when his temptation comes and he's under attack... And he so badly wants to respond in his manness. Instead, he responds with what's in him. And he speaks the word of God that's in him. And I think so often you and I don't speak the word of God because it's not so much in us. And it's a good thing when you're tempted to open scripture and begin to read it. It's a good thing when you're tempted to begin to say, oh, what's that verse I, I learned? When, you know, okay, I'm gonna repeat that in my mind. But that's not what Paul says is the sword. And that's not what Jesus did. No, Jesus and Paul both spoke the word of God and they knew that was the offensive weapon. And yet I would guess that out of all the people that are hearing this message tonight, one to 2% of us actually uses this approach on a daily basis. And I need to get better at this. This is something God's been challenging me to grow in. Because often when I'm tempted, I'll pray. Hey, do that. Still do that. That's a good thing. Often when I'm feeling under attack, I'll I'll read scripture. I'll I'll talk to a friend about the situation. Good things. I'm not saying stop doing that. But ultimately, it's kind of like you and I are soldiers who have all this armor on. And we're standing there holding a sword, but we never swing it. Like we've got access to it. It's the word of God is in our hands. Like literally for most of us in our hands all day, every day. And yet Paul is saying and Jesus is modeling that what will work and what will drive the enemy back is when we speak it. And so what I want you guys to know from this message is that our best offense against Satan is speaking the word of God. Our best offense against Satan is speaking the word of God. He's actually speaking it out loud. Now, obviously timing is important on this one. You know, I don't recommend tomorrow in class, you know, you feel tempted or the teacher begins getting you angry and you stand up and say, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And you know, I mean, you just go off on this tirade. You will be escorted out. I guarantee it, okay? So timing is big. Volume is big, okay, right? Under your breath, just a little. I wonder, we don't know how Jesus said it. Maybe when Satan was right there in his face, who knows, maybe he whispered it back. Maybe he yelled it back. We don't know. But I don't think the point is volume. I think the point is that we use this sword and this weapon in the right way and at the right time. And we begin to see our relationship with God grow because we can move forward. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to take a couple verses that really hit home for you personally and speak into the struggles that you normally go through. Okay, so you know you're tempted this way, you find a verse. It's so easy in this day and age. You can literally Google verses about fear, verses about lust, verses about anger. I mean, and you take one or two of those, and you get them in you, like Jesus had those verses in him. How do you do that? Well, why don't you go ahead and write it down once a day for a week or two. It'll get in there. Why don't you write it on a card? And for those of you guys driving around all all day, you know, put it on your dashboard, make it your screensaver. You could record it and listen back to it. You could have someone read it back to you with a really epic accent on a Bible app or something cool like that. It's true, all right? And so you can do all these cool things. In this day and age, there's no reason that we shouldn't know the word of God. And so you take those few scriptures and you get them in you. And I'll give you just two examples. Romans 8.37 is a great one. Romans 8:37 says, "In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so pretty much whatever you throw at me, Paul's saying, I'm more than a conqueror, not in me, not in me, I'm weak, man I'll, I'll fall apart quick, I'll break apart quick, but, but through him who loves me. And so when Satan throws the temptation at me, I'll speak back. I'm more than a conqueror, through him who loves me. when Satan you know, it attacks me in this way or that. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I love that. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm not almost a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Another one that's great, Philippians 4.8. When the lustful thought comes, when the doubt comes, when the anger comes, it says whatever is true and whatever is right and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I'll speak that back and I'll see the truth begin to push the enemy back and he gets to the place man he I love it I I love that after three temptations with Jesus I'm not saying it's going to be three for you or three for me but after three temptations with Jesus and three times Jesus speaking God's word and shutting him down he gives up and he walks away does he come back I'm sure he does I'm sure there's other times that he came and he whispered again but Jesus was able to walk forward in victory because he knew how to walk forward in victory, and that was to speak the word of God. A couple of objections, and we'll close up. First objection is, and it's very real, and I'm not saying it to be funny. It's just, this sounds really stupid. This sounds really stupid. So, so Doug, what you're telling me is, is when I feel tempted, when I feel under attack, when I feel like you know Satan's doing something to mess me up, I'm supposed to speak these words, and I'm gonna be okay. I completely get that. And, and I understand some of that skepticism. But let me say this to it. First of all, if I were telling you that when you felt bad about yourself to just look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a good person and, and I'm gonna make it through and I'm gonna be all right, then I would say, yes, yeah, very, very stupid. But I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to speak not your words or, or words that someone else can give you. I'm, I'm telling you to speak God's word. And there's power in that. I'll say something else to that. I'd say, if you're thinking, man, this is just stupid. Oh, okay, but it's what Jesus did. It's how Jesus was able to go forward. It's what worked for the son of God when he was on earth. And I'd say one more thing. I'd say, this was Paul's strategy. Like the guy who basically next to Jesus, everyone looks to us like, wow, this guy lived it. Paul's telling us, this is how you fight. This is how you move forward. This is the sword of the spirit, the spoken word of God. The next objection would be, Doug, you're telling me to base all of this on scripture, on God's word. And maybe your objection is, I gotta be honest, I don't trust all of God's word. Maybe you're not a Christian here tonight. You're going, I don't believe this stuff, Doug. So your answer sounds nice and all, but why would I use a scripture that I don't believe in? Or maybe you are a Christian and there are aspects of the Bible you you can't wrap your mind around you struggle through it and you're like, how can I use this when I don't really trust it? Well, let me give you some reason to trust it, okay? I realize this may not erase every doubt in every person's mind, but this is pretty powerful. And so would you read along on the screen with me? The Bible is the most published and translated book in the world. Countless rulers have tried to destroy it. Like it's been people's mission for thousands of years to do away with the Bible, burn it, blow up printing presses, kill the guys writing it, whatever they had to do, and it still continues to not only remain, but be the most published and, and, and purchased book in the world. The Bible is unique in its composition, and this is so cool. It was written over a 1,500-year span. It was written over 40 generations Written by over 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statements, scholars, and so on and so on. Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter, a fisherman. Amos, a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah, a cupbearer. Daniel, a prime minister. Luke, a doctor. Solomon, a king. Matthew, a tax collector. And Paul, a rabbi. It was written in different places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, Paul inside prison walls, Luke while traveling, John on the Isle of Patmos, others in the rigors of a military campaign. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And here we go, you ready? Yet, it contains an unmistakable thread of continuity through its pages. One of the things for me is I was looking at the evidence for God. And it's not the only thing I found. It's one of a bunch of things I found. But one of the things that helped convince me that this was real was what we just read on the screens. That you're going to tell me over a 1,500-year time span, 40 different authors, uh, some rich, some poor, some in prison, some kings, different languages on different continents. They obviously didn't know each other, many of them. Yet they all tell the same story. They all tell this story. You know what the story is? Man is broken, and we need a savior. That's what the whole Bible says. We can't fix ourselves, but someone will come, and they'll fix us. We can't get rid of our sin, but one will come and die on a cross and rise again to remove that sin. It's the story of the entire Bible. And so you might say, I don't trust the Bible. I struggle with it. There are things I don't get. I understand that. But ultimately, when you look at what we've just read, I don't just see coincidence. I see something miraculous. And so I hope that if you're struggling with that as a non-Christian, as somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, here's, here's what I hope. I hope you'll continue to struggle with it. What I mean by this, don't just give up, but struggle with it. Look into it. We'll give you a Bible tonight. You can take the evidence series. You can hear my story. There's other people in the room who have stories that are different than mine, where they came from all different backgrounds in the room. We've got people who struggle with drugs and alcoholism. We've got brilliant philosophy minds in the room and science minds, and all of them finding that God can be trusted and that His Word can be trusted. So, what I would encourage you to do is struggle with it. Don't give up. If Jesus is possibly there, and this could possibly be true, then struggle with it until you find your answer. And if you are a Christian, I hope that your trust in scripture has just been intensified and that you would be able to say, okay, I'm tempted at times and I struggle at times, but I know what's powerful enough to get me through it. Because the best offensive weapon that you and I have against Satan is speaking the word of God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how powerful it truly is, God. We just thank you, God, for not only you know, writing it, but keeping it intact and, and making it available to us today and, and telling us that this is the thing that will work. This is the thing that will make the difference in our lives. And so, God, we just come to you and we ask for your help. And I'm a pastor and, and I'm happily admitting tonight that I need to grow in this area of my life. I need to get better when I'm struggling, when I'm accused, when I'm tempted to speaking your word and using that like a sword. And so I pray that we'd see it work in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, what I wanna ask you to do right now is think about the specific areas of your life where you feel you're under attack what are the Achilles heel issues in your life? What are the things you've struggled with forever, man? It's like the same old thing. Or what is the, the current thing? And, and what I'd encourage you to do is think about the verses you already know or maybe tonight make a habit or, or, or make a priority rather to get online or open up God's Word and check the concordance out or the bibliography and, and look through all those different things. And I mean, all those indexes, there's so much available to us today. I mean, with, with the smartphones in our pockets, you could walk out of here tonight knowing a verse or two about your struggle. And I'd encourage you to take the time to do that. Maybe even stay for the prayer time and just get by yourself and do that. Maybe it's tonight, maybe it's tomorrow morning for you when you get up, whatever, but make that time and get it in your heart and then use it, use it, please use it. We all know the stories. We, we, many of you knew the story I was gonna walk through tonight, but that's not enough. We gotta swing the sword, man. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard what the Bible's all about tonight. It's one story. It's that man would fall and man would need a savior. We couldn't save ourselves and that Jesus came to do that for us. And so if something that was said tonight has resonated with you and you feel like you want to know this God and you want to know a savior, then I'd encourage you to just put your trust in him tonight and to just Pray something like this, just in your heart, between you and God, don't say it out loud, even you and God. Jesus, I trust you tonight. I ask you to show me how real you are. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. And I ask you to be my savior. Thank you for this gift of life. I need you. Help me to be close to you. Amen.